the green light is on. Okay. Maybe I didn't have it up quite high enough. Or, okay. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. If you want to uh, turn with me to Matthew 6. We'll talk a little bit tonight. I, I thought it would be appropriate since it's Wednesday night and at the prayer meeting, talk about prayer. So if you'll turn to uh, Matthew 6, I, I'm just going to uh, turn to Luke myself and read one scripture. And then I'll join you in Matthew 6. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And I just wanted to uh, look at that phrase, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, in Matthew 6, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Luke 5, goes in through uh, 6 and, and 7. And in Matthew 5, starting on the Sermon on the Mount, and I found it really interesting to me how God leads up to Matthew 6. In Matthew 1, or 5, chapters 1 through 12, we have the Beatitudes. So it's uh, God's teaching on how blessed we are in, in all things, uh, regardless of our situation, regardless of our hardship, regardless of what we face tomorrow or next week or next year, regardless of what we faced yesterday. We are a blessed people. Uh, we're, we're, we're in God's hand, and, or in Jesus' hand, with God's hand wrapped around us, and, and there's nothing that can get us out of there, and there's nothing that can get into us, except the Lord wills it. So we are a very, very blessed people. So that's 1 through 12. In, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, in light of our being a wonderfully blessed people, Jesus explains how we should allow our light to shine through our lives, through that blessed lives, through what we've experienced. We're to be the salt of the world. We're to be the light of the world. And uh, basically that says we're never to lose our value. We're never to lose our witness. We should be there as, as a witness, as a light to this world, as a salt, the salt of this world, uh, so that others can see and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Then in verse 17 to the end of chapter 5, in light of our great blessing and our great responsibility to witness, it talks about how much deeper our responsibility is. That you know, We like to say we're not under the law anymore, and that's true. We don't have to... Uh, obey the, the, the dietary laws, the customary laws. Uh, but our, our responsibility, if you read uh, the last several chapters of uh, Matthew 5, goes far beyond 
just keeping the law. We have a, a greater responsibility to serve and, and to do the right thing and to live the right way than the Jews did under the law. So, you know, there's not been... Jesus said that he didn't come to, to, uh, to diminish the law. He came to, to uh, fulfill. Thank you. Fulfill the law. So, you want... Okay. Just thought I'd ask. I every word I'll know. Oh, <laughs> Judy is my helper in, my, in camp, you know. So we kind of co-teach there, don't we? Yeah. But uh, then that brings us up to Matthew, chapter 6, where uh, we're going to spend most of our time. And in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, God teaches that attitude is more important than execution. You know, we tell the kids all the time, it's attitude. You know, you can enjoy just about anything if you have the right attitude. You can endure what you can't enjoy if you have the right attitude. You can get through childhood alive without your parents killing you if you have the right attitude. So it's, it's all about attitude. It, it, it's actually you know, more important to have the right attitude than to have the, the proper execution in a lot of things. Because, you know, I can mess up cleaning the house. And when Lonella gets home and sees that I didn't do what I was supposed to do, if I have a good attitude, you know, I can survive that. But if my attitude stinks, I'm going to have a hard time. So, amen. It's a fact. Thank you. I need it. But God teaches that our attitude in the things that we do for him and the things we do for others is more important than the execution. The real reason we do something is more important than how well we do it. You know, God wants us to do things for specific reasons. And he talks about giving alms or gifts to the poor, to those in need, charitable contributions. So let me turn over to six so I'll actually know where I am. Uh, I'm going to read uh, verses one and two. It says, take heed that ye do not your alms, again, that's charitable contributions, gifts to the poor, before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And this is to remind you where I'm going, we're still we're working up to prayer. I don't know if any of y'all have seen any of these, but there were videos. Uh, it's it's been a while since I've seen one of these, but it was you know a fella that was giving sandwiches, you know, food to to the poor on the street, and you know he had his phone in their face as he was giving them uh, what he wanted to give them. And, you know, 
putting himself on there and, and talking about the good that they were doing there, going out and, and giving, uh, giving to the poor. When I saw that, I don't know how you all, some of you all might have seen those type of videos, but to me it, it looked like he was a lot more interested in getting, getting likes, views, or whatever it does that they can earn a payday online with than he was in taking care of the poor. And that's what God's talking about. It's, it's not changed since the uh, people would, you know, had the trumpet sound before them as they went into the synagogue to, to give their alms. Uh, if it's not about serving God, if it's not about pleasing Him, if it's about you, if it's about me when I do something for God, then there's no reward in that. There's, and if you're doing it for the reward, kind of the same thing. You know, we need to be serving God because we love Him. We need to be caring for people because we love them, because we love God enough to love them. So... Uh, I believe the Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful example of, of line upon line, precept upon precept. Because like I said at the beginning, it, it builds, it, it seems to me to, to everything just kind of piles on top of what came before it to, to make it perfectly clear how we ought to pray. In order to know how to give, we have to first know the depth of our respons uh, responsibility. In order to know the depth of our responsibility, we first have to know who we're representing. And in order to know who we're representing, we have to remember how blessed we are. So it just, it just falls right in order for me. Now we come to prayer. Let's see, it, the alms, talking about the alms, I actually went down through four. I didn't read all of it, but we'll move on to five. Chapter six and verse five. It says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus is giving us instructions on how to pray. Uh, I want to look at a couple of other instructions in different places in God's Word about prayer, and then we'll get back to, uh, to Matthew 6. If you want to turn with me uh, to James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5 and 16. And I have my Bible marked. Uh, I can't find Genesis when I'm nervous. All right? So, so I mark all of my places to make sure that when it's time for me to go there, I can find them. So James chapter 5, verse 16, the end of the, the verse, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual and fervent, the two words that are translated there for us in English are actually one word in the original text and 
what it, what it indicates is to put forth work and provide aid. To put forth work and provide aid. So that effectual fervent prayer is something that you're pretty serious about. It's something that you're, you're working in your, in your heart and your soul to produce. You're not taking it lightly. You're not doing it uh, ill-advisedly. You're wanting to get through to God, to, to give aid, to make something better for someone, to make something better for us in a situation. So the effect... Unceasing. That's uh, actually the next verse we're going to go to. <laughs> Basically, we have to pray like we mean it. You know, I, I had not heard very many uh, unspoken prayer requests or requests to pray for, for unspoken things before I came to RGT. And it was kind of foreign to me to have to be praying about something that I didn't know anything about. And this verse came to mind after I'd struggled with it for a while. You know, I don't have to know what's going on to have a, an effectual, fervent prayer for somebody else's need. It took me a while to come across that, to realize that that, that uh, I, was, I was tying God down. I was reducing his power to, to do what he says he wants to do by simply not putting my heart into prayers just because I didn't know what it was about. And I know that working with the children, you hear them. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, we, we ask them, you know, if there's anything unspoken. But, uh, yeah, it was a struggle for me. To have to play, pray from my heart for that, and that you know, this is one of those confess your faults before men things. So uh, yeah, that was hard. But we're not called on to be effectual and fervent only if we know what's going on. You know, because most of the time, be honest, we don't know what's going on, whether we've heard the story or not. So. Yeah, yeah. They can be so so private, yeah. or they can be just just something so important that you can't talk about it. I know uh, somebody very close to me, uh, a female I've been married to for almost forty five years, that if something's you know close to her heart, you might as well forget it. Yeah. She's she'll cry, but she's not going to get it past her lips. <laughs> so uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of reasons for prayer to be unspoken. Exactly, because God knows. God knows. And, and there, there is no benefit, really, to my knowing. And it just took me a while to, to, to see that. And, yeah. Yeah. And I love what a praying church this is. I love that we get so many calls every week to pray about things. And, and, you know, 
quite a few of them are unspoken. You know, we get, we get names and situations sometimes. A lot of times we get uh, unspoken requests. I was talking to my brother recently, and uh, while I was driving him to his appointment, my phone rang five times just on, on the way to his appointment in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Well, it wasn't in Pittsburgh. It was in Pennsylvania. And he, he asked me, why is your phone ringing so much? You know, I'd look at it when, uh, when it would ring, and if, if it was a prayer request, I would just go ahead and pray about whatever it was without even answering the phone and because I was driving. And uh, he said, do you get that many prayer requests? I said, well, on a good day. You know. But uh, he said, we might get three a week. And uh, his, the church he goes to is a little bigger than RGT in attendance. So... Uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that people want their brothers and sisters in Christ to pray. Absolutely. Amen. I, I doubt I'll get that far in my notes, but I have something on that as well. If uh, I better hurry. I've been talking too much. Uh, but uh, turn with me, if you will, to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You know, this means to pray incessantly. Uh, at every opportunity. You know, to, again, to be honest, a lot of my prayers are, Oh Lord, help me. Or, Oh Lord, forgive me. It seems like that's my prayer, prayer without ceasing through an average day. So, but, but pray. Pray. Have, be, be close enough to God in your thought and in your heart that when something comes up, you're ready to pray about it. Because things will come up. Things will come up every day. In Matthew 6 again, and I, I, like I, I'm going I'm to rush a little bit to try to get to where this makes a little more sense. You know, past my uh, past my introduction here, but Matthew six, again, in light of how blessed we are, in light of the fact that we should allow our light to shine before men and be His witness, our responsibility to live for Him, and now our pure motives. In light of the, the motives that we have, are they pure? Are they to serve Him? Are they to do His will? In light of these things, how do we pray? So first of all, he gives us some don'ts. God gives us some don'ts. Verse 5, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 5, not as the hypocrites are. How do the hypocrites say it, pray? It says, standing in the synagogue in the corner of the street that they may be seen of men. Now, this is not an indictment as having somebody stand up and pray in church, lead prayer. It is not an indictment of somebody praying aloud as they're at the, at the altar. Actually, I appreciate people praying out loud at the altar because I can be reminded of things I should be praying about. 
that had slipped my mind by hearing somebody else pray about that. But when we see that here, we're not seeing anybody stand up with their chest puffed out saying, look at me. And that's what it's talking about here, is people doing something supposedly for God, supposedly for the people they're praying for, and what they're really doing is standing up with their chest puffed out saying, look at me. God doesn't like that. God doesn't endorse that. Uh, it's just a reminder to me. You know, what, when I read God's Word, I'm not thinking about what Miss Judy needs to do. You know, I've got no business worrying about what Miss Judy needs to do. I'm reading God, God's Word to find out what I need to do, where I need to, to look at my life, where I need to uh, look at my motives. And that's what God's saying to me in this verse is for me to check out my motives. Why do I do the things I do? And that's what he wants for each one of us when we read his word, to check up on ourselves, not to check up on our neighbors. But it's a reminder for me to check my motives. And if I'm motiva motivated uh, when I'm called on to pray out loud, if I want to sound eloquent so that everybody will look at me and say, good prayer, Joe, pat me on the back, then I have terribly missed the mark, and I've heard me pray that's not what happened. But, you know, it shouldn't happen. It, that should not be anybody's motive. Um, I'd be better off to hide. I'd be better off not to be seen. Uh, I'd be better off to get my mind off of me and start getting my mind on him, if that's the way I felt. Stop thinking about how I can impress somebody and start thinking about how I can please God. That's what he's talking about there. Verse 7. It says, well, verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter in thy closet, and when thou shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Uh, and again, that's check your motives. If, if I have bad motives, then I need to spend some time alone with God. Verse 7 says, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard, but they're much speaking. Vain repetitions. Uh, don't say, I lost my notes. Lost my place in my notes. Don't say the same thing over and over to God. Uh, rambling on as though, you know, we're going to wear God down. You know, you don't have to explain to God what you're praying for. He, no, yeah, that's, that's not it at all. Uh, and, and I had, because I've never known this, in my life. I've never seen somebody do this. So it's kind of hard to understand, but it's, uh, it's, it's again, it's attitude. Uh, God says that we are to come to him over and over again uh, with the same thing. But to, to uh, we'll go a little further and maybe talk about that a little, little deeper. Well, don't you think the word vain is what, I mean, like yeah. vain repetition. Uh-huh. When you're like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, amen. 
and verse 8 tells us, Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. But, although he knows what you need before you ask him, he, he expects us to pray, he requires us to pray, and uh, I believe it was Oliver B. Green, I didn't look it up to find out for sure, but I believe it was he that said that he feared that when he would die, God would show him all the things that he didn't receive that God had ready for him that he didn't pray for. And, you know, that, that's a sobering thought that uh, God has so many blessings for us that are contingent upon our prayer. God wouldn't tell us to pray if he didn't have a reason to, if we didn't have a reason to. And those things that, that he has for us there are contingent upon our asking. I'm going to just quote a verse that is later on in my notes. Uh, it says, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. That pretty well proves that thought to me that there are blessings that God has for us that are just waiting for us to ask. God wants us to pray. God wants us to have fullness of life. God wants us to have success and victory in our life. And I'm not talking about, you know, a, a private jet and a fleet of Mercedes. You know, I'm, I'm talking about God's power on our lives. And, and the results of God's power being seen in our lives. God. Right. Yeah, that, that builds the closeness. The, I mean, how are you going to get to know somebody if you don't talk to them and you don't allow them to talk to you? Right, absolutely. Yeah, if you have a friend, if you have somebody you care about, you want to spend time with them. And God wants to spend time with us, and we should want to spend time with him. So, how are we to pray? The prayer contained in verses 9 through 13 of this chapter, uh, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer, uh, it's, it's the first prayer a lot of children are taught after now I lay me down to sleep. And uh, I'll admit, this is my night for admitting, isn't it? I'll admit to you that I almost every day recite this prayer. And I do that because it reminds me of a lot of things about God, about me, about what should be important in my life. So I do, I, I practically every day. First of all, it reminds me to whom I should pray. The prayer begins, Our Father. You know, we're not supposed to be crying out to Mary or the saints or the angels or anybody else you might imagine 
We're supposed to be praying to our Father, our Heavenly Father. Uh, And something really special about this, this is the first time we're told to call God our Father. That does something for me. There's a change in relationship between God and man in this verse. We're not just praying for, for the Alpha and Omega or to the, the you know, God, the Alpha, the Omega, the self-existent God. We're praying to the Father and not just the Father, a Father, and not just my Father, our Father. Our Father which art in heaven. Now, that might not give you chills, but it definitely does something for me to think that, that from this, this point, we're not praying to just an all-powerful God that we can't see or, or touch, but we're praying to our Father. And not uh, Father, the Father to all, you know, everybody that will accept him, everybody that will accept his son Jesus, uh, everybody that says yes to him, he's their father. And he says it in writing. He doesn't just say it verbally. He says it in writing. He, you know, I like to think of the book of life as adoption papers. And he writes your name on that adoption form when you accept him. And it can't be blotted out, it can't be changed, can't be removed. It's eternal. So he puts your name on there, and you're his from then on, and he is your father. In Romans 8.15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's our Father which art in heaven. He's our heavenly Father. Uh, Our Father abides in a place we can't even imagine the glory of. A place prepared for us. It's not a generic hotel room with, you know, the, the little coffee pot and they always have the green tea in there. That stuff's awful. But it's always in the little basket. I don't know why they put green tea in there, but... There won't be any green tea in heaven. <laughs> Not in my mansion anyway. Not in my mansion. No, yeah, but it's a, it's a place prepared just for you. Also, in verse 2, in verse 2, uh, next it reminds me of who he is to whom I pray. My Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. It recognizes that he's worthy of great respect. It reminds me that he's pure, that he's holy, that he's worthy of our praise, that he's worthy of our worship. It speaks to his power, his wisdom, his justice, and his truth. Hallowed be thy name. God doesn't have to be told that he's all these things. But you don't have to tell the love of your life you love them. But they sure do like to hear it. And 
And we don't have to tell God who he is, but I believe based on his word, he likes to hear it. Amen. Do we normally get out at about 8 o'clock? Okay. Well, we're going to have to shut it down then. But uh, we'll go ahead and let you do that, and we'll just stop right there. Thank you all for, for listening and, and for joining in and helping out. Thank uh.